why should the gentleman speak up and talk more? We'll have to let me know. Thank you for this opportunity. I'll say more uh, about uh, how much I appreciate being here the next hour and that sort of thing. We want to get to our, our lesson uh, this morning, but do know that I am thankful so much to, to be here to have this uh, this opportunity to uh, to speak to you today and also uh, also the rest of this week. We're going to be looking at a book today that I think, or I guess maybe this is my personal experience anyway, that we've always thought of as a, uh, a children's story, if you'll allow me to use that, that word with it. You know, there are certain certain accounts in the Bible that we, we look at and we, we study with our children. We have Vacation Bible School dedicated to certain uh, individuals or to certain accounts in the Bible, and then once we reach a certain age and we're no longer young enough for Vacation Bible School, we study other things and we rarely go back to those. For example, David and Goliath and uh, Daniel and the lion's den. Not that we don't ever look at that and not that there aren't ever sermons preached about it. It's just that we think of those uh, accounts as something that is for our children, for them to learn, and then we get to the whatever we think, more important stuff or whatever it is. But I found that if we will go back and actually study some of those things that we might think of as, as child, uh, children's stories, that there are a lot of things there that we never saw and couldn't really understand when we were younger. But now that we're older and we're more mature and we've studied other things, there are a lot of things there for us that really weren't there that we didn't see before. So I want to look at one of those today, and hopefully we'll look at the entire the entire book today. Talk about the book of Jonah. Uh, and this is one of this is become one of my favorite books, and I like to, to, to preach uh, from this book and, and look at it when I do a gospel meeting, something such as this, because really uh, uh, hopefully you'll be surprised because no matter where where, where you are in life or, or your, your stage or wherever, whatever you're doing, there's something here for us. There's something here that can help us, though Jonah was written you know, some 2,700 years ago. Uh, and, and it's certainly much more and it's, it's, it's much greater than the fish. We'll, we'll talk about the fish for about two minutes today. There's a lot more to it than that fish. Although when people say Jonah, that's what we think about. And my point today is that there's a lot more here for us today than just that fish. And so let's notice here the book of Jonah and, and some things concerning uh, this man and the things that he experienced. Over there in chapter 1, let's go to verse 1. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. The very first thing I notice here when I'm reading this book, the very first thing that should jump out to us, is that when it comes to sin, God is always the one who makes the first movement. He's the always, he's always the one that takes the step towards the sinner. Think about the very first sin. We have, we have Adam and Eve. Eve took the fruit, and, and, and don't miss this, but it says that she gave the fruit to her husband who was with her. It wasn't like he was off somewhere. He stood right there and watched her eat it, and then he took it and said, hey, that looks like a great idea. Uh, and so he eats the fruit, and they realize that they have done wrong, and so they go and they go to God and they say, we've messed up and we need you to fix this. That's, that's all that happened. They hid themselves and they tried to cover themselves and God came to them and said, Adam, where are you? He didn't ask because he didn't know. He asked because he wanted Adam to answer. Well, what are you doing right now? Why are you hiding? You see, God goes to him. They have children. Cain gets angry and, and kills his brother Abel. And then Cain goes to God and said, I've done something that no one's ever done before. And, and I need you to fix this. Again, God goes to Cain. And asks about his brother Abel. Time after time, when, when we sin, Romans 8, we were sinners. Christ died for us. When we sin, God comes to us. And what does that mean for me? Obviously, God comes to us when we sin. 
he, he made the step. He took all the, 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 the steps that he could in order to make uh, salvation possible. But if we're going to look at it from, if I'm going to try to be like God, I'm going to go to where the sinner is. I, I have an idea, certainly don't know most in this room. But if I were to ask you how you came to become a member of the church or to be here today, I think very, very few, and there might be someone here, but I think very few said, you know, I was driving down the road and I saw a sign that advertised a meeting or something like that, and I just decided to walk in, and, and here I am, years and years later. I'm sure that happens. I'm, that's very rare, I'm sure. In order to be like God, and, and like we see here in the book of Jonah, I'm going to go to where the sinner is. You have people in your life that the, the preacher or the elders could never reach because you're with them. You go to where they are. You're around them, whether it's family members or someone at work or school or other things. And so to be like God, I'm going to go to where the sinner is. Now, that's around the world, certainly, but that's also across the, the country, across the state, that's across your living room. I mean, that's anywhere where they are. I'm going to go to them. That's what God does here in the book of Jonah. Notice he said, I want you, Jonah, to go to Nineveh, that great city, because their wickedness is come up before me. I want you to go, and I want you to preach to them. Notice that the people of Nineveh did not say, God, we've, we've sinned. We need you to send somebody to us. No, God went to them. He makes that first move. Then verse 3 begins, But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, that, and he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, and he went down into it to go from Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. This, this verse begins, but Jonah. You're going to notice, especially here in the first chapter, that this book is kind of like a, a, a really bad game of chess. Where, whereas one person's really good at it, and the other person's really bad at it. God will make a move, and then verse 3 says, but Jonah. And then verse 4 says, but the Lord. And then, and then uh, a couple of verses later, but Jonah. And back and forth. It's God makes a move, and then Jonah makes another move to try to block or to avoid the, the consequences there. And he's not very good at the moves that he makes. But this is his move. But Jonah rose up to <coughs> unto Tarshish. Now, if we were looking at a map, we had a large map here on the, on the wall. If I'm in the center of where Jonah was, God said, I want you to go all the way over here to the east. And I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to cry out against them. And then verse 3 tells us, but Jonah went to Tarshish, which is in Spain, and it would be on the other end of the map way down. Notice he said, I'm going to go in the opposite direction. God wants me to go this way, and I'm going to go this way. He said, notice it says that he rose up to flee from the presence of the Lord. Where, where it's interesting here that, uh, that, that Jonah apparently thinks that, that God is some kind of national God. That if I can get outside of my borders, if I can get outside of, of, of his realm, then I will escape him, and I won't have to, to, uh, to, to, to listen to what he says, to obey him, that sort of thing. It's interesting because when he's actually in the belly of the fish, and he's in the sea, and he's under the water, all of a sudden here, it's in chapter 3, he starts crying out to, to God to save him. Now, if God was truly just a national God, God would have heard him in the fish. He didn't want God to be uh, everywhere at this point in chapter 1, but later on he wants God to be exactly where, where he is. You see, there's a, certainly a change that goes about with this with this man here. But also notice again in, chapter, in verse 3, there's a lot here. He goes down, he's going to flee to Tarshish. That's his, his goal, that's where he's going to go. But he goes down to Joppa, which is uh, on the coast, and he goes to a port and he finds a ship that's going where? To Tarshish, to the exact place he was going to go. We talk time to, from time to time about the, the providence of God. God doesn't work miracles today. He's not directly active in, in people's lives in that he's, he's forcing things to happen like has been done in the past. 
But we talked about how God works through people and through ways. And if you want to do what's right, there, there's going to be a way. God doesn't, uh, we're not tested above all that we're able, but God will, with the temptation, also provide a way of escape. He does that providentially. And certainly that's the case. But I think as well, and, and don't misunderstand, don't take this too far. I think Satan works in a very similar way today. If I want to do something that's wrong, if I want to do you know, whatever it is, whether it's right or wrong, I'm going to find a way to do it, and there's going to be a way to do that. And whenever I talk to, to, to young people and, and, uh, and we're talking about something like this, I, I, I tell them, you know, there, there's only so many things that your parents can do that can force you to do right. They can take away all kinds of things. They can ground you. They can do all kinds of stuff to you. But ultimately, they cannot make you do what you don't want to do. And, and you see some of them, yeah, that's right, absolutely. That's, I get excited about that. But notice what it says here in verse 3, that he goes down into the ship. He pays the fare thereof. I have no idea how, how much it costs to go from Joppa to Tarshish and all the stops along the way. I don't know how much that costs. But whatever it costs him monetarily, the ultimate cost of this voyage is far greater than he ever imagined that it could be. I tell those, those young people, and I'll tell you as well, there's no one that can force me or you to do what we don't want to do. We're going to do whatever it is that we want to do, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm going to find a way to do it. But understand that if it's something that's sin, if it's something that's bad, ultimately the fare that I'm going to have to pay is far greater than what it might seem up front. Uh, and and, and that, can, you know, that can be something that's added for, 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 for young people, but also for us as well. Whatever it is, I'm going to, to, to do what I want. Jonah was going to do what he wanted, and he paid the fare, and it cost a lot more than just money. He actually thinks a little bit later that he's going to die, as we'll see here in this ship. So he went down to, to, to the ship, and he, he's going to flee from the presence of the, of the Lord. Then verse 4 begins, But the Lord, but God, sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was likely to be broken. I find it also interesting that here in this book, there are a number of things that do exactly what God wants them to do. There's this wind here, there's the sea, there's the fish, there's the gourd, there's the sun, there's the east wind. There's a number of things that do exactly what God said. The only thing in the book of Jonah and in the world who doesn't obey God all the time is man. And that's the one that God is, is concerned about. That's the one that he's most concerned about is mankind. And so all of these other things, God sends out this wind so that the ship will likely to be broken. Notice verse 5. Then the mariners were afraid, and they cried every man unto his God, and they cast forth the whales that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it. But Jonah was gone to the bottom of the ship, and he was fast asleep. The mariners here, don't, don't miss what is happening here when, when, we, when we read through this. These are professional sailors. Now I know we talk about, and we will this week, uh, about Peter, James, and John, those fishermen that are on the Sea of Galilee, and they are in a storm, and they are afraid. That is a big deal that they're afraid, but that is a, a very small body of water compared to where they are right now. They're in the Mediterranean Sea. These men are not amateur sailors. They know what to do. They've been in storms before. They've been in places where it is could be frightening to someone like you and I that, that we're not familiar with, with, with sailing on the Mediterranean. They have been in this kind of situation before. So to say that they are afraid and, and they are unsure what to do, that is a big deal. I have an idea this is the largest storm they had ever seen. 
and it intensified quicker than anything they had ever seen before. But what did they do? Notice it says that they were afraid, and every one of them cried unto their God. They, they would carry uh, uh, charms or, or, or small idols or something that was to them, connected them to their God. So all of them began to pull them out of wherever they are, a bag or, or a compartment on the ship or something, and they all have their God, and they start to cry unto that God. Now, what's that going to do? Nothing. See, I cried out that God all day. That God is not responsible for this storm or anything else. And so it's not going to save them. And so they begin to cry into their God, but that doesn't work. And so what's their next plan of attack? Well, they start to take all of the things on the ship and they start to throw it overboard. These are things that they're going to buy and sell and trade along the way. They can't go directly to Spain. They have to stop at all the ports along the way. So they're going to trade. This is their livelihood. They're taking the most important things... Almost the most important thing. And they are throwing them overboard. Those are important packages and boxes and, and other kind of goods that they are now casting out of, uh, of the ship. And notice, it doesn't do any good. I don't know how much experience, I have very little, uh, of, do, of dealing with those who have are, are addicted to substance, substance abuse, whether it's drugs or alcohol or other things. But one of the things that when, when you read about how to... to to look for these symptoms in someone's life, that they have problems with, with whatever it is. One of the things that you look for is they start to distance themselves from, from friends and family, especially those that they would, you know, they would be ashamed if they knew I was doing whatever it is. And so they start to throw things out of their lives. The most important things, those relationships that they have with very important people, they start to get rid of it. They start to get rid of it and focusing solely on a particular substance, whatever it is. And that could be something like drugs and alcohol. It could be something... You know, far less, we might think of as far less severe. But the people begin to throw things out of their lives that weren't the cause of the problems. They're throwing the things that can help them out. That's what these men are doing. But where's Jonah? <laughs> I, 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 I can't always wrap my mind around what is happening. This is a storm unlike anything any of these men had ever seen. And it says in verse 5 that Jonah was down inside the ship and he was fast asleep. Notice they're crying to their gods. And they can't be saved. They're throwing things out of the ship and they can't be saved. The only one who is able to tell them about the God who can save them is sleeping in the bottom of the ship. And I don't know how well he was sleeping. It says fast asleep, so I've got to take it. But he, he was down there sleeping in their ship. We talk about relationships that we have and, and people that you know that I'll never meet, people that you can, can, can affect that you know no one else is able to, to reach. There are certain people in your life that no one else will ever be able to teach the gospel to, to affect in a good spiritual way. Please don't be like Jonah here in this verse. Don't be sleeping in the bottom of the boat. Sometimes we say that you know in, in life we're either in, we're in one of three places. We're either going into a storm, a difficulty, a problem, whatever it might be. We're either going into a storm, we're in a storm currently, or we're coming out. Understand the people around you, the relationship that you have. Notice, <coughs> and when someone is in a storm, tell them, help them get out of it in any way that you can. If it's sin, if it's something like that, point them to the God that can help them uh, and bring them out of that storm. He, he was unable to do that because he was he was sleeping, seemingly didn't care. Verse six. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What do you mean, O sleeper? Arise, call upon your God, 
If so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. Why are you sleeping? Because all of us are doing our part. We're crying to our God. So you need to cry to your God, little G. Whichever, you know, you're just like all of ours. Colonies, maybe it's yours that is uh, the cause of this. You see, this, this captain here had the right idea, although he didn't follow it through all the way. Your, your God is just like the rest of ours. Well, Jonah enlightens him here. He says, verse, uh, verse 7, uh, verse uh, verse seven here. They said, "Everyone to his fellow, come and let us let us cast lots that we may know whose evil this is that is upon us." So they cast lots, and of course, the lots fell upon Jonah. So now they know, Jonah, it's your fault. You've done something, or it's your God's fault, or some reason you're here that that, that this this storm has come upon us. And so they ask in verse eight, "Why is this evil come upon you? What's your occupation? Where are you from? Why are, where are you going?" And so Jonah tells them, verse 9, I'm, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. Not really, if you're running away from him. Not obeying him. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. The men, verse 10, were exceedingly afraid. And they said unto him, Why have you done this? For they knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And then verse 11. Let's, let, let's, let's stop here. Let's, let's make sure we understand what's happening because it's important for the next few verses. Then they said unto him, What shall we do unto you that the sea might be calm? Alright, understand what they're asking. It's simple, but we need to keep it in mind. They're asking, what do I need to do? You tell us, you're fleeing from God. It's your God that's responsible for this storm that we're in. And, and so he's responsible here. So you tell us, we can call him a preacher here. He's a prophet, we can call him a preacher. What do I need to do? In order to be saved from this soul. Okay? That, that's, that, that's the simple question that they're asking here. And so verse 12. He said unto them, pick me up and throw me into the sea, and the sea will be calm unto you. Okay? They ask a simple question. What do I need to do in order to be saved from this storm? And Jonah gives them a very simple answer. Pick me up and you throw me into the sea. And so verse 13 says they picked him up and they threw him into the sea. Not what it says. It says, nevertheless, the the men rode hard to bring us land. What do they say? I can save myself. I can do this. No, Jonah, we're not going to throw you overboard. Everybody grab an oar, and we can get back on our own merit. We've been in this kind of storm before. We've seen we can handle it. We can do it ourselves. Everybody grab an oar. Pick me up and throw me in the sea. What do I need to do to be saved? Pick me up. Throw me into the sea. No, 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 we can, we're going to do something else. We're going to try our own merits. We're going to do it ourselves. So that didn't work. So then verse, verse uh, 14, the verse 13 says, The sea was wrought uh, and was tempestuous against them. That's the King James Version saying, that didn't work. All right, the storm was too hard for them. So then verse 14, Wherefore they cried unto the Lord. And they said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not, innocent, lay not upon us innocent blood. For you, O oh Lord, you've done as it pleases you. What are they doing now? They're praying to God. They're asking God to save them. Notice before they had their idols and they were praying to those false gods. Now they're actually praying to God. You might say it's a sinner's prayer. They're asking, they asked Jonah, what do I need to do to be saved? And Jonah said, just, okay, just pick me up, throw me into the sea, and it'll, it'll, it'll work. The sea will be calm. And they said, no, no, no I can, we can do it on our own. And so everybody's grabbing their own, everybody's trying all they've got, and they wear themselves out. So now they start to pray to God himself. 
That's the one they should have been praying to in the beginning. And they said, Lord, save us. But again, notice, and that doesn't work either. Praying directly to him, calling on God to save them, that didn't work either. What did they need to do? They need to do exactly what Jonah told them to do. So, verse 15, after they have exhausted themselves and all other options, they pick up Jonah, they cast him into the sea, and notice, the sea ceased from its rages. I have an idea that as soon as he touched the water, the, the storm immediately stopped. Imagine, imagine. They, they did what Jonah told them, and they were saved. After they had done all, everything else, tried to save themselves, call directly upon God, none of those things worked. Now they, they, they do what Jonah says, and amazingly, they got exactly what Jonah told them, that they were fine. And then verse 16, the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They offered sacrifice unto him. They made vows. Notice here that Jonah is able to, to preach the gospel in a way here. He is able to affect someone in a positive way, even though he himself was, was, was fleeing from God here. God can save man. And does save man, regardless of our actions. Okay, understand that God has, has had a plan from the beginning to save man. And it didn't matter what man chose to do. And man has all the decision. He doesn't force anyone to do anything. God has been able to bring about his plan perfectly, even though man has been in charge and able to make the decisions. God can save man, regardless of whether or not I go out and preach the gospel. If, if, if I don't tell anyone else about it, the gospel is still going to save. The kingdom is still going to be here on this earth, and it's still going to continue to grow, regardless of what I do. Now, I'll be lost if I don't try to spread the Lord's kingdom. If I don't preach the gospel, I'll be lost. But he can still accomplish his goals and will, regardless of, of our choice. Notice these men here are now put away those idols, and they're now um, expressing vows, and they're actually uh, offering sacrifice to the God, even though Jonah was the one who... Uh, was doing something uh, that he shouldn't. The Lord here prepares this great fish we talked about here in, in, that, we, that we've noticed before. It says that Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Uh, I have an idea. I don't think there's any indication in the text here that Jonah knew about this fish prior to seeing it open its mouth. All right. So I think that when Jonah tells them, pick me up and throw me into the sea, I have an idea that he actually thinks he's going to die. He is actually sacrificing himself for the good of these men on the ship. And in this way, he's like Jesus. He sacrificed himself for the good of the entire ship, and he's in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. He's like Jesus in, in, in that short part right there. Jonah thought he was going to die here. He seems to have changed his mind. He's no longer necessarily willing to uh, think selfishly. Now he's thinking more about other people. But he continues on with this thought process. Notice here in chapter 2, Jonah prayed from the belly of the fish. So now he's here and he's praying to God. Remember, he, he didn't want God to come outside of the borders of Israel, but now he does. And he asks him, he cries unto him, for reason of my affliction, uh, I cried out to you. Chapter 2 is really a uh, the prayer of Jonah. You won't notice all of it. You can, you can read that for yourself. He really, all he's wanting is God to hear him in the fish and for a... In seemingly a turn of mind here, he wants God to save him. Now, he doesn't want God to save the people of Nineveh, we'll notice later. He really didn't care about the people on the ship at first anyway. Now, all of a sudden, he wants God to be someone who is kind and merciful. Notice verse 9. I will sacrifice unto thee the vow of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. I will do what you say. 
And then verse 10, the Lord spake to the fish, and just like everything else except man, it does exactly what God wants to do. Vomits out Jonah onto the dry land. Then chapter 3 opens. And verse 1 says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time and said, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Mine's on another page. But take, you know, look back at chapter 1, verse, verse 2, and then look at chapter 3, verse 1. There is very little that is different from chapter 3, verse 2, and chapter 1, verse 2. It's exactly the same, except he tells him preach the preaching that I've been. Everything else is exactly the same. God's word has not changed. Regardless of how far Jonah went west, regardless of how far he made it, regardless of how a little man wants to obey it, God's law is still the same. And it never changes. And, and it's always the same. And so God still wants him to preach unto them the preaching that I did thee. I have one uh, sibling, one younger brother. He's three years younger than I am. Uh, and uh, he, he's worked past several years for Norfolk Southern Railroad. And that has caused him to move quite a bit. And he's looking to, you know, get something else. He's, he's, he's had it with that railroad. Uh, but he, he's, been, he, he's been in managerial positions in several places, St. Louis and uh, of late near uh, Cleveland, Ohio. And, and so he's, he's been at certain places. And when he first got hired on, uh, he's an assistant train master. I have no idea what that means. He does not get to honk the, the pull the cord in the train. That's all I know. I'm asked. Uh, but, he, but when he first got hired on, he, he had this really large three-ring binder that he had to carry around with it. And he had to basically memorize that book. And, and, and it was all of their, their, their laws and all kinds of ordinances that they had and safety precautions and all kinds of other things. And the reason he said that it was in a three-ring binder is because at the end of each year, you have to open that binder, take out the part that gets changed, and add new uh, precautions and laws and other things that they come up with. And every year it's changing. And every year he's got to have classes and he's got to learn, oh, this year we're going to go this way instead of going this way. And, and, and what everything means. Everything changes. I have a Bible that has a three-ring binder that, that's in a three-ring binder. That's for a good reason. But our Bibles do not need to be in three-ring binders for that particular reason. We don't have people meeting at the end of each year and saying, you know what, we're going to add something to it this year. We're going to take away this part because this does not apply to man in the 21st century. It's always the same and it never changes. Jonah saw that here when he uh, comes out of this, this uh, belly of this fish here where, where God told him, why don't you go to Nineveh? It's the same. Regardless of how much man wants to cut it up and, and do everything, it remains the same. So verse 3, Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh According to the word of the Lord, now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. I take that to mean that, that Nineveh, the city, the capital of the Assyrians, was so large, if you started at one end and you started to walk directly to the other side, it would take you three days to walk all the way across. Some people think that means that where he lands from the fish, it took him three days to get there. I think it means it, it takes him three days to get all the way across. I think that because verse 4 says Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. He starts walking, and he goes about a third of the way in, and then he starts preaching. So he gets in about a third of the way here, and he has an eight-word sermon. I've never been accused of being long-winded, uh, anything of that nature. But I promise you I'm going to preach longer than eight words in the next hour. <laughs> but he says this eight-word sermon, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. What does it do? The people of Nineveh believed God. Well, who was it that preached to them? Well, it was Jonah. Jonah was the one who said the words. He was the one that preached to them. But notice it says that the people believed 
God. When I go into the world, and we talked about those relationships a while ago, and I, I'm, I'm trying to, to spread the gospel in ways that, that, only, that only you can. When I'm doing those things, when we are doing those things, and people do not believe us, or they do not accept those, do not take that to mean that they do not believe you. Because if you're preaching the gospel, and you are preaching the, the preaching that God has given us, they're not rejecting you. And this is something that God said to Moses. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. But then the, the, the opposite of that is true as well. When they obey, when they believe and they obey the gospel, they're not believing me. I'm just the one who said what God said to say. It's right here in the book. When they believe, they believe God. And that's what the people here in Nineveh did. They believed God. And they, the king proclaimed a fast. They put on sackcloth, the greatest of them, all the way to the least of them. For the, the word came from the king, and he arose from his throne, laid a robe over him, and covered him in sackcloth and in ashes. He wanted everyone to know we have messed up, and we need to find a way to repent. Notice here the only one who's actually the only ones who are actually doing what God said here are the ones that God uh, the, the, not the not the prophet here. He told Jonah, go to Nineveh. He went that way. The men of, of, of the ship they obeyed God. Immediately they saw that he was the one in charge. Jonah pro proclaims this uh, sermon to them, and they immediately repent of what they did. And then, verse 10 of uh, chapter 3, And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he was going to do unto them, that he did it not. Now understand, repentance can mean a number of things. Repentance here in this, this context means to, to change his mind, to change his course. The evil that he was going to do was he was going to destroy them. They were going to be destroyed. He changes his course. He no longer is going to destroy them because of their actions, because they changed their actions. Notice again, these people did not go to God first. He went to them. I'm going to destroy you. Here's what you need to do to change. He sends Jonah. Eventually Jonah makes it. They repent, and God changes his course. That tells me that God did not want to destroy these people. He didn't want to. He didn't want to do that in Genesis 6 when he floods the world with water. He did not want to do that. He doesn't want man. He didn't want man to eat the fruit. He didn't want man to do the, the things that they continue to do today. He does not want those things to happen, but they happen. And there is an end of God's suffering. There is an end of God's patience. There is an end coming. Now, to tell people, this, there is an end, and this is how we fix it. This is how we change. This is how we avoid that end that is inevitably coming. In verse, chapter 4, verse 1 opens up with the only unhappy, successful preacher that has ever lived. All of the people, from the least unto the greatest, we're told that there is somewhere around five, uh, uh, 500,000 uh, individuals here. The very end of the book tells us that there were six, four thousand persons who could not discern their right hand from their left. That's infant, but little children. Six, uh, uh, six score, uh, six times uh, 20 is 120,000. 120,000 infants were here in this particular place. So somewhere upwards of 500,000, somewhere closer to a million, even someone has, uh, has mentioned. All of these people from the least to the greatest now repent and they are asking God for forgiveness. And this displeased Jonah exceedingly. Jonah's upset. 
because, not, not necessarily because they are saved, because notice what he says here in verse 2. I pray, he prayed unto the Lord and he said, I pray thee, was not this my saying while I was still in my country? We know now that Jonah and God had another conversation that we didn't know. <coughs> I told you this was going to happen. These people are exceedingly wicked. So much so that God actually has to move towards them because their wickedness has come up before me. That's what he says. But I told you that they would repent and you would forgive them. Notice he says that in verse 2. I was not this my saying. I knew that you were gracious and merciful, slow to anger, great in kindness, and you repent from doing the, from, from destroying them. I knew that was, those are all good things. And Jonah's looking at it like it's a bad thing. Why? Jonah looks at these people that are here in Nineveh in a different way than he looks at people in his own land. Understand now, understand, it, it, it's hard for us necessarily to understand what Jonah is thinking about, but the, 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 the best way I know how, and this is extremely inefficient, but imagine that you are uh, living in 1935, 36, 37. You're a Jew, and you're living in Central Europe. And God comes to you, and he says, I want you to go to Berlin, and I want you to preach to Adolf Hitler. Now, Understanding uh, what we do from history, understand that you know certainly that's not that would have happened, and, and, and certainly would happen. Uh, but you're going to think one of two things is going to happen. If I am uh, a Jew and I'm, I'm told to go preach to the Nazis, one of two things is going to happen, and I'm not sure which one's worse. The first one is they're going to kill me. They're going to arrest me. They're going to do what what they're doing to all the others. They're going to do that. Or the second thing is they're going to ask for forgiveness. They're going to believe what I'm preaching. And they're going to be forgiven, and they're going to be saved. And they're going to be as, as I think I am. I'm so, and, and, and we're all going to go to heaven. I don't know that I want those people going to heaven. I don't know that I want that man sharing the same heaven that I have uh, been promised to me. If we can kind of wrap around and, and, and forget about the things that really don't make sense in that, in that example. But if we can kind of understand that, we kind of understand what Jonah is talking about. These people that are in Nineveh, the Assyrians, they are extremely wicked they brag about the things that they did that were wicked as far as conquering people. Their, their king drew on his wall and, and, and bragged about all the things that he did whenever he would conquer a people. A couple of things that he would do, he would take some of the captives, their strongest, and, and he would fillet them. He would actually take the skin off of their body, many of them while they were still alive. And he would use that for wallpaper to go around his palace. And he would put their skins on the wall uh, of his palace. He would also bury people in the ground so that only their heads were sticking out of the ground. And he would run over them with horses dragging behind them uh, all kinds of uh, things that would drag the ground and obviously destroy the person that was, that was there in the ground. And 30 years or so after Jonah, the Assyrians are going to come and they're going to completely destroy northern Israel. The northern ten tribes, they're going to be carried away into captivity. Many of those people never to return. They're wicked people. They do not deserve to be saved. That's Jonah's thinking, and that is literally what they are. But Jonah is thinking too highly of himself. Because remember in the fish, what did he want? He wanted, he wanted salvation. He wanted to be saved. He wanted the Jews to be saved. He himself wanted salvation, and he wants God to be gracious, but now all of a sudden he's mad that God is gracious. I have the fear in, 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 in this time period, that, that many people, 
and again, I don't, I don't, I don't know you, so I don't, know, I don't know if this is you or not, but many people treat the church like a, like a gated community. You have those around here. You have like a gated community. If you're going to live in this gated area, your house has to be a certain amount of, of square foot footage. Uh, it has to be worth a certain amount, uh, and you have to have a pool, and you have to have this. And if you do not fit those characteristics, you cannot live here. Part of the Home Buyers Association, you're not allowed to build there. Sometimes I think that whether consciously or subconsciously, we, we treat the church as a gated community. If someone doesn't look like I do, if they don't have the same amount of money that I do, if their children do not go to the same schools as I do, if they do not live in the same area, then really they don't belong in, in, in our church. Maybe we're, we're, we're using the phrase our church there, like, like we own it, like we did anything for it. Uh, and, and so, again, I don't, I don't know if that's you or not, but, but primarily you see individuals that, that if there's someone that doesn't look like them, uh, I'm, I'm not going to share the gospel with that person. Uh, that, but this person here looks a lot like I do, and I think we would have a lot in common. I, I think I'll mention that to him. And in that way, if we think that way, we're acting a lot like Jonah is here. He wants salvation for him and his but when it comes to other people that aren't like them at all, that are wicked, that are evil, that do not want to be saved, at least at the beginning, then Jonah's upset. He's upset here. So he's going to sit on this hill. What, five minutes? Was that it? Five. So he sits up here on this hill, and he, more or less, I have four children. Uh, eight is the oldest, two is the youngest. When I say he's sulking and he's pouting, I know what that is. Right? I know what, what that is. He sits up here on this hill, and that's basically what he does. He sits here on a hill... Um, uh, in, uh, to, to watch the city to see if maybe God will change his mind back. Maybe they'll be destroyed, and, and, and I'll, I'll enjoy that. And, and, and that'll be something that, uh, that I will see. I noticed that God asks Jonah a question, going back just to say verse 4. The Lord said unto him, Do you, you do well to be angry? Notice here, God, God has the right here, and, and certainly maybe we would have as well, to let Jonah absolutely have it. And say some of the things that I just said. But he treats him like a father does a child. Do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to, to, to be angry about this? Think about for a moment why you are angry. I just say that I just changed my mind about destroying all of these people. And you're upset. Because they're going to live a little while longer. That's not right. Do you do well to be angry? So verse 5, Jonah goes and he sits on the east side of the city, makes a booth, and he sits under it in the shadow so that he might see what would become of the city. Maybe they'll go back to their wickedness and God will destroy them immediately and I will be here to see it and I will laugh. And so verse 6, God prepares a gourd to come out and it, and it covered over Jonah, that it, a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceedingly glad. Notice he's exceedingly glad about a gourd that he didn't plant that he had nothing to do with. He's just enjoying the consequences of that gourd. It's, it's there shading him. And he's exceedingly glad. But these people, thousands and thousands of people, had their lives, at least temporarily, saved. And Jonah's upset. That doesn't make any sense. That is, that, is, that is completely backwards of how it should be here. But God prepares a worm. And in the morning it rose and it, it smoked the gourd that it withered. It came to pass that when the sun did arise... God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun to beat down on the head of Jonah. And he fainted and wished himself to die. And he said, is it, better, it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah is going from one emotion to the other here. He's back and forth. And here he's so upset because this gourd has now withered and died that he said, it's better if I'm like that. 
like that gourd, being dead, than it is to remain alive with these people saved. I don't want to live in a world like that. Again, gentlemen, do you do well to be angry? God asks him that, verse 9. Do you do well to be angry about the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. I'll be angry the rest of my life about that gourd. And so God wants to correct his thinking. And the Lord said, you, are, you had pity on the gourd. That gourd that you didn't plant, that you didn't make to grow, that you, didn't, you had nothing to do with. It dies, and you have pity on it. You're upset that this plant died. While it's important, and while it's a creation of God, it's not the most important thing in this world. He said, you do well, or you're being angry, and you have pity on this door that you did nothing, that it came up in a night, and it perished in a night. And then verse 11, the last verse, and, and it's really a strange verse to end a book on. But it certainly makes sense, but it's just, it's just strange the way that it's worded. And should not I also spare Nineveh, that great city? This is the third time he's called it a great city. It certainly was impressive in a, in a particular way. It was a great city wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. There are a lot of people and a lot of things that were going to die, and now they're not, and you're upset. Why? Because of how you feel towards those people. If I think like God, I'm not going to think in that direction. God wants all men to be saved. No one deserves to be saved. Me included, and all that are like me. Jonah here lets us understand that there are, there's more to think about than just what we think about ourselves and others. Thank you so much for your attention. Look forward to